Today, we will be looking at two scenes of temptation. I feel like one of my primary roles here at this church is, is to teach the Bible to you. I, I love the scriptures and I love to teach the scriptures and I hope that the, the way I try to relate these things to you is helpful to you. And one of the things that we must understand is what is going on with temptation? We see temptation at the very beginning of the Bible, and we're going to look at it today, and at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. So the first question I think we need to ask this morning is, what is temptation? As you turn to Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 15, what is temptation? Temptation is the desire to do something wrong or unwise. And we all understand, we've all been tempted, we're tempted every day. You may be under temptation right now to do something that you know that you should not do. It draws at us, it pulls at us, whether it be anger or, or drunkenness or gossip or the desire to exalt ourselves in pride, whether it's sexual sin or lying or stealing or pornography or covetous materialism, whatever it is, we are assaulted by temptation constantly in our lives, day in and day out. And it is vital that we understand how to struggle against temptation. And as in all things, Jesus gives us what we need. And we have what we need in Scripture to struggle against temptation. So let's look this morning at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. This is the temptation of Jesus Christ. And it is interesting and important to see that the temptation of Jesus Christ is the next chronological event recorded after his baptism. The baptism of Jesus Christ, as we talked about last week briefly, this incredible high note where God the Father speaks and the Holy Spirit descends and John the Baptist is there and it's this glorious beginning to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And where does he go from there? Straight out into the desert to be hammered by the devil. Okay, so this is one step away from this great high place we go to this very hard place. And is that not true in your life as well? How many times have you had a time in your life where there was a, a great high point, some time of tremendous encouragement, learning, fellowship with others, and you lead straight into a hard time? But the Lord strengthens us through the high places to give us what we need in the low places. So please stand this morning to honor the Lord as we read his word. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. 
And Jesus returned in power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So, very interesting here. He goes out from baptism. It's very important to note the first verse in chapter 4. It says he goes out in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, or full of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus goes into this time of temptation, full and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And he is there after fasting for 40 days. By the way, that is possible. Uh, This is not a a mythical thing or just a, a, a number that was thrown out. He is in great physical weakness after this fasting. And after this time of fasting and in this physical weakness, Satan comes to him to tempt him. We see Satan involved in a number of things in the ministry of Jesus, opposing the ministry of Jesus. And I want to stop for just a moment to tell you that I believe in a real Satan, a real adversary to the Lord. The scriptures give us a small window into who he is. He is a rebellious or a fallen angel. It is important for us to know that he is not like God. He is not everywhere at once. He is not all-knowing. He is a limited, created, rebellious being that is allowed to continue to be the adversary of God and against God's people until an appointed time where he will be judged and bound. But even in this time, he is assaulting Jesus. But Satan and his demons are those that have come against believers throughout time. This is in some way how David himself fell into temptation, how Peter fell into temptation, how many others have fallen into temptation. And what I want us to understand this morning is to not be overly arrogant to think that this cannot come to us or that we are somehow above this temptation or that we are strong against it when so many others have fallen and when he, our enemy, was not afraid to come against Jesus Christ himself and to assault him over and over seeking to undo his ministry and his person. He is our enemy and he is our adversary. Three temptations he comes at against Jesus. The first is to assault Jesus in his physical need or his hunger, where he says, if you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Show off for me. Let's, let's see you do this, if you can do this. And Jesus, as he's going to do every single time, and we're going to continue to unravel this as we go throughout the morning, Jesus quotes scripture to him. He comes at him with the word of God. And he says to him, man shall not live by bread alone, which is a quote from Deuteronomy 8, chapter 3, talking about how God sustained the people in part in their wayward, uh, that wayward generation in the desert through manna from heaven. So part of their sustenance was actual bread, but the other part of their sustenance was hearing from the Lord, that the soul is vital, that you can be very healthy in body and dead in your soul, and you're in a worse condition than being healthy in your soul and hungry in your body. And so Jesus comes back to him and he will not show off the devil. He will not be tested by him. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And so Satan moves on to another temptation. And he takes him, it says, in a a moment in time and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says that if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you dominion over all of these things. And the passage that Jesus quotes back to him is, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And we understand that. It's it's unthinkable that Jesus would bow down and worship Satan. But what is happening here is the, the idea that I will give you dominion over all these things. 
Now, we know that at the later in Scripture, we're told that at the end of time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that that time is coming and that it will come where he will have full dominion over all of the world. They will all bow their knee. But what is the path and what is the plan that God the Father had for, being, for this being accomplished? It was certainly not him bowing down to our enemy, Satan, but it was through the cross. And my understanding of this temptation is that this was a way in which a temptation was laid before Jesus to bypass the cross, that I can accomplish perhaps the goal, it's a deception of course, but through a deception try to throw out that perhaps you can accomplish the goal that God the Father has laid down to you without going to the cross. Because we know Jesus agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane over the cross. He knew it was God's will and it was the only way that it could be done. But it was not an easy process. Just like you and I will agonize at times in choosing to do God's will when we know it is right, but we know it's going to be hard and we know it's going to be difficult. And part of temptation will always be some deception that will appear to be an easier way out. And we must resist such temptations. And Jesus resists this. And it's clear, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You, Satan, are not worthy of worship. I will never worship you. I will only worship the Father. And so he takes him to another place. He takes him to the, a pinnacle of the temple and does something interesting here because any of us who have been involved with, uh, whether you're a parent or an investigator, because by the way, if you're a parent, you are an investigator. What's, what's going on here? Where, where's the, where are all the, well, I see a lot of candy wrappers here. Where, where's, all, where's all the candy? That's, I don't know. I have no idea where those wrappers came from. You're investigating, and we know that a part of a good lie is that it has some truth in it. And you can take a partial truth and it becomes a lie by leaving out the crucial kernel of truth that makes it all come together. And so here we have Satan trying to use scripture against Jesus and twisting some of the Psalms. Psalm 91, he comes at him. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And so throw yourself off of here and, and show me, prove to me that you are the Son of God. Well, Jesus will have none of it. This is, a, this is a, a, an appeal to pride or an appeal to presumption. Go prove yourself to me. Jesus doesn't have to prove himself to Satan or to anyone else. And he is not going to be taken in by this. And he goes back at him with Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. With authority and truth and clarity, Jesus goes back at his enemy over and over again with the scriptures. Because every time that Satan comes to try to deceive us or to tell us some lie, there is always some aspect of scripture, some aspect of God's truth that can be brought directly to bear on this. And as it is brought to bear, it will shine light in the darkness and it will help us to understand what we should be doing, what the true nature of things is, and it will empower us to to do what we ought to do. Jesus had read and searched and studied and memorized and prayed over and filled his mind with the scriptures for three decades until he came to this point of ministry. And of course, he is also fully God, but he is fully man. And there was a process of study and seeking after it. And it was that in the time of temptation that the truth of God's word might shine eternal light upon the lies of Satan and expose them for what they are, that he might be unscathed during this time of temptation. And so we see some patterns here that we're going to examine as we go forward. 
But when Satan decides that he is not going to be able to tempt the Son of God, he is not going to be able to be successful there, he backs off. And in verse 13, it says that when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. What does that mean? Was Satan done with Jesus at that point in time because he had tempted him? No. He's going to come back, and he's going to come back again and again and again and again. And so it will be with you. You'll have times of great victory where you are so thankful that God has delivered you from temptation and you've seen the truth of Scripture bear fruit in your life. Don't exalt for too long because he will come back again and again and again until we are with Jesus in glory. I'm going to look at a second scene of temptation. This is the temptation of Jesus Christ. You can listen or you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 because the temptation of Jesus Christ gives great cause for rejoicing and lays down patterns for what we should be doing and what we should follow. In Genesis chapter 3 is everything that we shouldn't be doing because it is humanity under the temptation of the same person, Satan our enemy. If you turn to Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to read for us uh, verses 1 through 7. I would say again here, Genesis, I believe Genesis is history. I believe that Genesis tells us a story of what did actually happen, that it is not a series of myths, but it is truth, and that from that we learn how it is that we ought to not act before Satan. We're going to compare some things, but let's go through the story first. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent, or Satan, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they go on to the Lord God coming and and walking with them and The fellowship is broken. There's no longer a joy of fellowship. They hide from the Lord, and he comes and calls to them, where are you? And they come out, and they begin to have this blame game going back and forth, and it ends with a curse. But if we look in verse 1, we see Satan casting doubt upon God's word. There's three things going on here. He casts doubt upon God's word, he denies God's word, and he defies what God has said. But the first thing he does is cast doubt. Did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Does not Satan and our our flesh do the same thing for us? Like, I know that God said that, that I shouldn't do this. But someone or something will come always to you in temptation and cast doubt. Are you sure that that's what the scriptures say? Are you you really sure that that's not a, that's actually, I think that's pretty okay. That's not really a big deal. And that's the next one, denial. He goes in verse 4. Because Eve lays it out there. She says exactly. She knows the command. She knows exactly the one boundary that God has set for them and exactly where the boundary lines are and the consequences of it that you will surely die. But Satan comes back to her again. You will not surely die. 
So what is this? This is denial. He casts doubt upon God's word, and he just straight up denies it. You will not surely die. There is so much of temptation in our day and age that is exactly like that. We read something in the scriptures, and we look out in the world, and it says exactly the opposite. And then we're at a place of, well, who's telling the truth here? Because God says this, and the world says this. So somebody is not telling the truth. But he presses her again. He says, you will not surely die, but God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you're going to be like God. And he paints it in a great way. Oh, if you do this, you're missing out. God's actually trying to rob you of something joyful and something good. And I'm telling you, I'm letting you in on a little secret that if you do this, everything's going to be better with you. He defies God's word and paints a picture of something that God says is going to lead to death, is going to lead to goodness. And the scene is set, and as we know, both Adam and Eve take, partake of the fruit of the tree, and they break God's law. And what comes upon them? It's exactly what comes upon you and me every time that we give in to temptation. It is shame. Shame comes upon them because we are created in the image of God, and we know that when we sin against the Lord, it is wrong. And shame comes into our heart, and this very enemy against us who is coaxing us along then becomes our accuser and beats us down with that shame because he hates us. He does not love us as the Lord does. And so what happens here, whereas the Lord goes out from his temptation full of the Holy Spirit and on to a fruitful ministry, if we look in verses 22 through 24, Adam and Eve are cast out of this garden. And the Lord said to them, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Yes, they know good and evil now because they have experienced evil. They have become rebellious. So they know what it is to be good and they know what it is to be evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove man out at the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. And we don't see the tree of life appear in Scripture again until it is spoken of in heaven. And it will be, it will be there. But they're driven out because of their sin and because of their rebellion, because death is what the consequence, death is the consequence of sin. They did not die immediately, but they did die. And they passed on death to all their children and every generation down to us. The second situation of temptation. So what I want to do is compare these two, because it's important to look at the differences between these two situations. Let's begin at the beginning. Jesus comes into his situation in the power of the Holy Spirit. When we come into temptation with the power of the Holy Spirit, we are set up for success. What, what was going on with humanity and Adam? They were purely in and of themselves. Yes, they were innocent, but it was just Adam and Eve by themselves. They had no strength of the Lord with them at that time, only their own human reason. And we see how human reasoning goes when it comes to being tempted because we can rationalize all manner of things and get ourselves all twisted around the axle. And that's why the the, the scripture is so important to help cut through some of our, our false reasoning or our deception. Jesus comes into his temptation in physical weakness, whereas Adam and Eve come into their temptation in full physical strength. Had everything, perfect situation. But it's interesting to see that spiritual strength is what is necessary to overcome temptation, not physical strength. So Jesus, in an incredibly weakened state, but empowered by the Holy Spirit, is able to withstand temptation. 
the devil comes at Jesus harder than he comes at humanity. He came at him three times, and yet he was able to withstand this. But humanity, just one time, where he keeps working it. There's no scripture, as we're going to see. So Eve and Adam, they begin to work out a false narrative that takes them further and further down through just one long track, ends in death. What does Jesus do when he is confronted with sin? He quotes the scriptures. He speaks the truth of God and puts to rest the falseness of what Satan is bringing. Humanity reasons logically. Reason and logic have a place and they are very important, but we can be deceived in that end. It is not enough. When we only reason and we do not inform that reason with scripture, we will get confused and you will reach a wrong end. We must fuse the two things together and be reasonable and logical according to the scriptures. Ultimately, Jesus is strong to overcome and humanity is deceived and falls into rebellion. Jesus departs in the power of the Holy Spirit onto a fruitful ministry and humanity is cast out in judgment under a curse and barred from the tree of life. So what I want us to do is take these two examples, these positive, this positive and negative example of temptation and bring it to bear in our own lives for how it is that you and I can follow in the footsteps of Jesus in resisting temptation. So I want to lay out a course of action, if it were, for, for how to deal with temptation. The very first part of dealing with temptation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are powerless. You are just as powerless as Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden against Satan and against his temptations and against all of the corruption of this world if you reject Jesus Christ. On your own, you will never be able to withstand the evil of this world. You may try, and there are a great many people who have tried, coming up with very specific formulas for how to live a moral life apart from God, and every one of them have failed because the corruption of your own heart, the corruption of this world, and outside spiritual evil influences will undo you. You must turn to Jesus Christ. Because as 1 Peter 5, 8 says, it says, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaming lion seeking someone to devour. Satan himself and evil in general is still very much on the prowl, as it were, in our day and age, seeking to undo you. Do not be naive to the existence of evil. Do not be so foolish to think that you can rid yourself of evil apart from Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is only by confessing your sins to him and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that you become one of his children. You come into his kingdom. You come under his protection. You come under his shepherding guidance. And as Romans 6 speaks to us, if you haven't spent time in Romans 6 and you're struggling with this issue, you've got to just camp out there and read that chapter over and over again. It's fascinating because what it tells us is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are no longer enslaved in sin. We are no longer under the power and dominion of sin, but because Jesus Christ has broken that power, we are free to make right choices and we will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. So let's look specifically at how that happens. If the first step of dealing with temptation is coming to salvation in Jesus Christ, the next step 
I'm gonna, uh, and there are so many ways we could go with this, by the way. I've chosen one track because there's so much that could be said about overcoming temptation. But I love Romans chapter 6, so we're going to go right to the middle of it. And the second step in our course of action against temptation is to present yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. So the first step is coming to salvation. So we have put our faith and trust in him. The second step, when we come under assault of temptation is to present ourselves to God as an instrument of righteousness. Now, this language comes directly out of Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin shall have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under, the grace, under grace. This points us back to salvation. When we come to salvation, we are no longer under the dominion of sin. But we are very much still acting in real, meaningful ways. And so we must choose to offer ourselves to God as an instrument of righteousness. Now, what does this mean? For me, this is a very real thing of getting up in the morning and before I get going with my day, bowing and praying and offering myself to the Lord. God, today I do not want to be someone who is an instrument of, of wickedness. I want, I want to offer myself to you today. Use me today for your purposes that good and righteous things might come out of my life. Help me to, to speak life to my children, to my family, to my kids. Help me to be an honorable person at work. Guard me from temptation. You are literally and physically offering yourself to the Lord. God, be at work in my life today. The opposite can be very true if you take up and reserve bitterness in your heart, if you go to places where you know temptation is going to overwhelm you and you begin to offer yourself to evil, you keep opening the door of your heart to evil things. If you open the door of your heart to evil and take yourself into the path of evil, uh, as Psalm 1 talks about, in the way of sinners and the seed of scoffers, and you keep living in that place and around those who tempt you, you will be overcome by temptation. And so it is an opposite path. We are called by Paul in Scripture to offer ourselves to the Lord as instruments of righteousness because we are no longer under the dominion of sin. So trusting Christ as our Savior, offering ourselves to the Lord. Third is a huge one. It is resist evil and stand firm. Jesus, over and over and over and over in his ministry, resisted what was evil and stood firm in what he understood to be the will of the Lord. There are so many scriptures that could be read here. I'm going to read three that I think are very important, that we notice the language of scripture, that we resist evil and we stand firm for what is good and right against the onslaught of wickedness in this world. First is 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. So Paul writes and says that, Peter writes, excuse me, 
Resist him. You're not the only one resisting him. Your brothers and sisters around the world are also resisting him. You are not alone. And that is part of why we gather together in a place like this today, that we might encourage each other to together resist the work of evil in our life. And we might see that, yes, I'm being tempted like my sister is or like my brother is. Let's encourage each other, pray for each other, that we might stand firm and know that after a little while, the God of all grace will bring relief and that he will bring us to himself ultimately in the end. We must resist. You must resolve in your mind that you will not resist for a little while until it gets too tiring or until some time passes and then you're given to it, but you'll resist forever unto death, especially with the temptations that dog you the most, that it's not I will be done with anger for a little while or I will be done with drunkenness for a little while or I will be done with gossip for a little while or pornography for a little while but that by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit I will resist it until death until Jesus Christ makes me whole in himself and completes his work of sanctification in my life I will always resist this evil and that is the resolve the level of resolve that we are called to Another verse on this same matter is Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. It's just full of this idea of resisting and standing firm against evil. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may withstand, be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm." So this language brings in much about just the evil of the world, spiritual evil that's, in, in, uh, that's working in the world. But what is the language here? Be strong, stand firm, wrestle. We've got some wrestlers in this room, some people that love wrestling in this room. Wrestling is a very physical sport. It's a sport that is, is painful, a sport that involves conditioning, but you are struggling against someone. We are like that, wrestling against evil. And then it goes on to say, take up armor, take up what the Lord has given us in salvation, in his word, uh, to stand against these things that you might be able to withstand the evil day when it comes upon you. And lastly, James 4, 7 and 8, James 4, 7 and 8, puts these things together for us nicely. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It reminds us that of ourselves, we cannot resist the devil. You cannot resist the onslaught of evil in this world if you do not have the strength of the Lord Jesus with you. So it says, submit yourselves therefore to God, which is the next place that we're going to be going in the scriptures. You must actively offer yourself to the Lord as an instrument of righteousness. Be in the scriptures. Be in prayer. Be inviting the power of the Holy Spirit into your life, submitting yourself unto God because we by ourselves cannot resist these things. But when we submit ourselves to the Lord and resist the devil, he will flee from us because of the power of the Lord Jesus at work in our lives. So we are believing. We are presenting ourselves to God. We are resisting. But the key thing here that Jesus relied upon and must be our pattern as well is to know and to memorize the scriptures. I'm going to read for us from Psalm 119, 9 through 16. 
How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This picture from the psalmist, Psalm 119, 9 through 16, is, is a person that just passionately loves the scriptures and is seeking after the Lord to know him through knowing his word. We must be like this in following in this example. We must love the scriptures. Can you say today that, that you love God's word, that God's word is beautiful to you? It's something that you know if, you're, if you go through the day without today because other things enter in, that you will feel a great incompleteness at the end of the day because you have felt a distance, a lack of nearness to the Lord because you have not been in his word. This is a part of what it means to love the scriptures. Reading morning and night, literally keeping the scriptures with you. Uh, I, I physically keep my Bible with me most times. Uh, I have a backpack and I carry it around with me. I pull it out when I have a chance. Maybe you're not a paper person. Get it on an app. I've talked about this uh, before. The, I love the, um, the ESV app that's easily available out there. I love it because it doesn't have any advertisements on it. It's not cluttered. But keep the scriptures with you. Put it on the walls of your house. Have scripture written out there. Hang it there so you see it. Stick it on a note card on your bathroom mirror so that you can memorize it, so that you can remember the scriptures from having been in it so often, looked at it so often, prayed over it so regularly that the Lord is near you. And this is what abiding in Christ looks like, that we love the scriptures and we rely upon the Lord so much and we seek after him so much and so regularly and in prayer that we're just near to the Lord. And this is what abiding in Christ looks like. This is what submitting to the Lord and then resisting the devil that he might flee from you. This is not a, a trick. This is a lifestyle. This is a way of being. This is how Jesus was. Jesus was always near his Father, always seeking to do the will of the Father, always in the Scriptures, knowing the Scriptures, ready to bring a Scripture against something that is evil, ready to shine truth upon lies and deception that we might understand the reality of what is going on around us. I encourage you to be one like the psalmist, one that delights in the Lord's, the Lord's word and does not forget it. What are the habits of your life? I encourage you to look at the habits of your life and if your habits of your life are not those that keep you in the scriptures, make an adjustment. The last thing that brings all these things together is prayer. That's our fifth thing. We believe in the scriptures. We present ourselves to the Lord. We resist him. We are much in his word. And fifth, we pray often. Why? Because it's right there in the Lord's prayer. The Lord's pattern for prayer to us in the last section is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's a reason why that is in the regular pattern of our prayers. We ought to be praying it for ourselves, for our children, for our spouses on a regular basis. I can't tell you how many times I have prayed this over my children, putting them to sleep. God, guard my children from temptation. Deliver them from evil. And the Lord has been good to answer that prayer. 
Pray this prayer over your children. Pray it over your spouse. Pray to be delivered from evil and temptation. The Lord will glorify himself by delivering you in the day of difficulty, and you will know it is him, and you will worship him for it. Let's close with 1 Corinthians 10, 13. A verse that is so important related to temptation and a verse that that is given to us that we must dwell on. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is a promise. We talk, Will was talking about the promises of God earlier today. This is one of the promises that we must rely on in temptation. That God has promised that we will never be tempted beyond what we are able to bear. And that the Lord will always supply a way of escape. And often we know the way of escape. It's just that we're not willing to take that way of escape. And this comes back to the Lord shaping our character. But I want you to focus on this and take it with you as you go out of this place today, determined to live for the Lord and determined to take the way of escape this week. One common example that we'll we'll close with is what, what happens when anger rises up in you this week? It will. Every one of us, young and old. Anger is clearly mentioned uh, numerous times in the scriptures as a part of the flesh, that when we are not in the spirit, when we are in the flesh, anger will eat up our life instead of peace and patience and kindness. But when anger rises up in your life, I encourage you to give it no place, to resist it, to resist it, to offer yourself to the Lord at the beginning of the day, God, use me for your purposes this day, and that when anger rises up, you know exactly what's happening. You resist it, you pray, you seek the Lord, you bring scripture to bear. Lord, the fruits of your spirit are not this. They are love and patience. Help me. If you have to go outside and and count to 100 and, and get on your knees and pray, whatever it is, you see that this is a spiritual struggle and you want to live for the Lord in patience. And at the end of it, when the Lord gives you victory in that, and instead of blowing up and saying and doing things that you know will hurt the people around you, that you're able to stop and you're able to say instead words that are peaceful, words that bring unity instead of division, and you will at the end of that be able to give glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for protecting me during this time. Thank you for helping me to live differently in Christ. Temptation. May we withstand it. May God help us for the next seven days, a short goal, until we can be back here together again to encourage each other in the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your scripture and for your word. I thank you for the glorious and always perfect example of Jesus Christ. He who was tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Jesus, we thank you for your perfection, but yet for your great compassion and mercy for how you allowed yourself to undergo such temptation that you might sympathize with us. But we cry out to you and pray that this week you would deliver us from temptation, that you would strengthen us to resist evil, that you would give us a great hunger and thirst for your word, that we might spend time in the scriptures every day this week, that our perspective might be right, that we might not be given to despair and anger and lust, but that we might be the people that you would have us to be for your glory. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.